Welcome to the Sports Biz Show. Today we have with us Sean Callanan, who is the founder of Sports Geek, which connects sports fans and sponsors using technology. Sports Geek is connected with millions of digital fans from across the world and has clients in the NBA, the AFL, and cricket, amongst others. Sean himself has hosted over 150 episodes with people from across the sports business industry on the Sports Geek podcast, which is one of the leading digital platforms in the world. We chat with Sean on growing one sports media presence as a professional, a brand, and a team. Let's dive into it. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure having you. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks, and uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, just to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about the conceptualization of Sports Geek and the intention behind creating the platform? Yeah, so I uh, I started Sports Geek uh, many years ago now, so 12 years ago. Before Sports Geek, I was a geek, so I was a coder developer, but I was a frustrated sports fan, and what uh, sports teams and leagues were doing to better connect. Uh, with fans, either via their websites, the emails they were sending, that kind of thing. Um, and I thought I'd continue in my geek role doing that kind of that kind of work. Um, but then a couple of platforms came along: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So the whole social media revolution, if you will, um, came on board, and I saw that as an opportunity for sports teams to better connect with their fans. And I started telling everyone they needed a sports geek. They needed someone to understand those platforms and uh, what they could do. Um, and yeah, that's sort of how the business started. And I was advising teams how to get on those platforms, um, how to build out their digital capabilities, and it's all grown from there. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, now you've also, like you mentioned, worked across multiple teams and leagues, and not only in one country but across countries across continents. Yep. What are the biggest challenges that are facing those teams and leagues today, especially in the digital landscape where there's a deficient Uh, where there's an attention deficiency. Yeah, so there's a few challenges in in the world of sport right now. Um, attention de- um, deficiency is one of them. Like, and you know, the uh, attention is a uh, a commodity these days. Whether it's watching streaming services, listening to podcasts, uh, watching movies potentially on a streaming service because we can't go into cinemas at the moment. But sport is in that in that space. And then I think obviously the The last 12 months uh, with COVID is is really put a crunch on on digital departments um, because there's been a lot more uh, emphasis on what they do um, because they're trying to talk to all the digital fans um, because they're not in the stadium, uh, which is you know something I've been talking about for 12 years to say hey we should be talking to all the digital fans. It only sort of started happening, uh, you know, really settling in at 2020. So. It's, the challenge is to do all the things they're asked to do with as few resources as they have. I don't think a lot of enough people realise how few people run the behind the scenes of sports teams and leagues. Um, you know, the the the, the brands, uh, the team brands are very very big, um, but they're vastly oversized the the resources behind them. Um, you know, if you look at a big. Uh, uh, a beverage brand or a big auto brand like they've got big brands as well and they you know they are similar to the big sports brands but they have so much more resources than a, than a sports team so in sport it's always uh, how do you get as much out of the resources and how do you keep delivering for your fans and you know that challenge is always there i think it's just been stretched a little bit further due to covid 
Mm. So on that note, on that piece of challenge, has digital come to a point, especially for teams in leagues, where it's become sophisticated to the point where they funnel their fans into becoming better consumers or better fans for better campaign results? Or is it still the more traditional way of working? And keeping that in mind for the layman, uh, in layman terms for the listeners, could you educate us about what funneling means? Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, happy to talk funnels. Um, like I do believe, you know, digital is a very much a large, a large funnel. Um, um, and, you know, if you're looking at digital, um, you're either in the reach component where you're trying to reach as many fans as possible in the widest part of the funnel. Uh, then you start engaging those fans. So people know about you, but then they start engaging. And what that, that might look like might be double clicking on an Instagram post or liking a tweet or replying or commenting on a Facebook post. So you're starting to engage and you become closer and the algorithms then help that. If you're engaging with content, you'll see more of that content. So then the challenge, the next part of the funnel is the most challenging point is the conversion part. So it's like, how do we get someone who's liking our posts, retweeting us, using our hashtags, double tapping photos, how do we get them to convert? And so what does converting mean? Converting might mean capturing their data and getting in our database so we can start a meaningful conversation off these platforms, right? So we're not always beholden to, to Mr. Zuckerberg or Mr. Google to uh, when we can talk to them. So it could just be a data transfer to say, oh, now I've got your data, but it could be a monetary one. It could be, oh, you bought a ticket or you bought a membership or you bought a season ticket. And so that's, again, that becomes digital, becoming a revenue uh, driver. So that funnel is driving to money. And so then you end up that point of, we've now got season ticket holders and ticket buyers and merchandise buyers. And so now they're cut, you know, effectively customers. I mean, we don't call them customers too much in, in sports because we like to call them fans all the time but they are you know, paying fans. Um, then the last part of the funnel, which is sometimes neglected, is retaining them, right? So to stop churn, like it's great to go and do, put all this effort in the wide funnel and get them engaged and get them to a game, but you have to do it every week or you have to do it every year. So the retaining piece, like the focus on the retaining, you know, in, in my part of the world, we have a lot of memberships and Collingwood is the team that I'm, uh, you know, I'm a fan of and I'm a member of. Like they have 70,000 members, but it's far better for them to make sure that those 70,000 members stay on board year to year than always be focused on making sure to get the next people in. So uh, that retain piece of the funnel is super important. And digital can play a role in all of those parts. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really, that's, that's where digital has to have that mindset of, I'm putting out this post on socials, like I'm always saying, what's the intention? What do you want them to do? Where are they in the funnel? So some of the content might be, let's make everyone know us, know about us. And that's at that reach part. But then you'll share a photo and it might be in the locker room or whatever. And that's really for your core fans. And they're going to engage with that. And then you might do something for your season ticket holders. And it's really inside for them. And so it's a matter of understanding like where that content fits in the funnel uh, to help move them along and starts giving digital a bit more value than uh, thank you for all those likes. Like you can start seeing that there's monetary value in what you're doing in the digital space. Yeah, that makes sense. I heard you speak on another platform where you said the NBA is the leader on the digital front for sports. Yep. What do you think makes the NBA, NBA's presence on digital so good? Um, so I think it's partly to do with um, I think it's a bit of bias. Like I'm an NBA fan, so I like the product. I like NBA as a as a product. 
Um, but from a digital point of view, and if I take my NBA ha uh, fan hat off, um, the way that they've structured their uh, content deals and their uh, their traditional deals. So when I say traditional deals, like TV, which is the primary source of revenue for uh, for sport, TV will hand over a big bag of money to a sport and say, we are going to put your sport on these big screens. And so a lot of those contracts and lawyers made put a lot of restrictions to protect that asset, which is understandable. If you've paid a lot of money uh, to put a sports product on a screen, you want to protect as much as possible. Um, what the NBA did is they started rather early to carve out or at least um, have conversations with their TV partners to say, actually, if we put this content on digital, if we put this on Twitter, um, if we put this on Vine, right? Remember Vine? Vine was pretty much all basketball highlights, right? Um, if we let it, if we let the content breathe on these platforms, more people will share it. And if more people share it, more people will come back and watch the, uh, the, the content on the TV. So, uh, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, who was sort of driving a lot of those deals when he was 2IC to David Stern, he talks about social and digital being like snack size um, and appetizers. And so like little clips and vines and GIFs and highlights. He goes, more people watch that. And if I find out that Dame Lillard has hit a big three and I find that from my Twitter timeline, guess what I'm doing? I'm logging into NBA.com and I'm firing up League Pass or I'm flicking on ESPN to watch the end of the game. Um, and so that's been their approach all along, um, which, is, which is why I think it's a really good one. Whereas other leagues have sort of taken the whack-a-mole approach where they've said, oh, we don't want any highlights on all of these socials because our, our big TV partner said they don't want it. And it's to a point where like they were, they were banning, you know, in, in one case, the NFL was not letting NFL teams show highlights of their own team to a point where, you know, uh, Scott uh, Kegley at the Vikings, they were doing Legomation highlight plays of, of their plays on Twitter because they didn't have access to the rights, which is highly creative, but it's not it's not what people want. They want to be able to see the highlights. So um, it is a bit of a, oh, if we give it away for free, we'll, people will never pay for it. But it's like, if more people see it, it grows the proper popularity and then more people tune in. And I think the NBA has got that right. Right. And also leads back to that point of funneling that you spoke about. Completely. It's very much in that reach play, like let more people do it. And then like, oh, I do want to follow that that game. Or oh, I didn't realize LeBron's now at, Le at the Lakers. I will tune, tune in. Those kind of things um, have an effect. Right. But when we speak about channels specifically, there's so much going on. There's a multitude of ongoing developments. In the recent few months, uh, due to COVID, the digital movement just got accelerated. Uh, while it was always present, teams started adapting to TikTok and other platforms. And now we have the advent of Clubhouse, which everybody's speaking about. Do you think um, there is a certain timeline where teams and leagues should start getting on the bandwagon and start adapting to these platforms or before they lose out? What's your take on that? Yeah, so it's, it's a tough one because I remember the olden days of social media where we would just get one platform every year. Um, and there wasn't very much, it was like, oh, we've got Facebook sorted, we've got Twitter sorted, oh, this Instagram thing looks good. And it literally was each, because you know, everything was coming along was so good. It was like, oh, everything, oh, we've got to be on. We've got to be on first. I remember, you know, the Boston Celtics were one of the early teams on Instagram and they had a lot of growth. And I like being an early adopter to platforms because you get to test the platform before you have lots and lots of fans. So if you make a mistake, no one knows about it. 
Uh, whereas if you come in after there's millions and millions of fans there, it's like the pressure to get it right is tough. So, you know, my advice over the last couple of years is for teams, get on TikTok, try to figure out what works. It's not exactly the same as Instagram and it's not exactly the same as Facebook. It is different. It's, it's creator-led, not brand-led. Um, and it's... And so it might it takes a certain skill set. Like I've never said that I would be good at good at TikTok because I don't use it enough, and I don't play around with all the creativity. But the people who do know how to do it. So um, I think it is about playing around with it, finding what it fits. But then also back to my other point, there's also the problem of resourcing. Like, and I think this is where potentially like Snapchat has been squeezed out of the sports mix. All right. So for a long time, for a while there, everyone was like. Like I, you can even go back into my archive. I said Snapchat's not worth it because it doesn't have viral and sharing. And then they added it, and I'm like, okay, I was wrong then, but now I'm going to change their mind. You could use Snapchat and tell stories and tell it differently. And then Instagram goes and steals most of Snapchat's functionality, and no one's using it in sports anymore because it's like I'm duplicating the same content on these two very similar platforms. So it's a combination of. Do you have the resources and time and effort to be able to do something? Um, and and is it is it worth doing? Um, I think the good thing about platforms like TikTok is because it's not chronological, it's not, hey, we've got to report game day or it's a Thursday training, we've got to do something. You never get that feed. So you don't, you don't have that pressure of, where's my Friday TikTok, you know? Um, because it just, it just is there and it's not, it's all algorithm based. Um, Clubhouse is a tough one for me to talk about because I'm Android and I keep people keep sending me invoice, uh, sorry, invites, and I'm like, sorry, they don't let me in. I'm Team Android, so um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how a platform like that, um, how a platform like that goes. Right. Hopefully, you get to be on that soon. I know that they're releasing a an Android oh, version. I'm just getting absolute FOMO. Everyone's going, oh, Sean, you have you checked this? Out? Like, of course, I would have checked it out, uh, um, but unfortunately, yeah, no, I, no, I haven't. Hopefully soon. Well, on that note of resource allocation as well, you brought up a really interesting point. Do you believe teams and leagues can sort of, or are seeing a trend of moving their social digital initiatives in-house? And what does that result in for marketing agencies? I think most social and digital like execution will stay, or it will stay in-house. Um, Cause I think it's much better way to, I guess, capture the tone and the voice of the brand and the team. Um, what I do think is, you know, the the, the teams um, of 2019 will be a little bit, um, will be bigger than the teams of 2021. I think they'll be smaller. I think COVID has caused uh, some uh, stand downs and furloughs and the like. So there will be less resources. So where I think freelancers uh, may be leveraged by sports might be on specific projects um, like sponsor activations and those kind of things where they go, We've sold this digital content series or this um, or something in specific, and they can bring in a videographer and those kind of, and those kind of resources do it or graphic artists. Um, I think that's where we'll see the freelancers be used and agencies be used um, because I think there's the other thing. You know, if you're a, if you're an agency and you're looking for talent, there's a lot of really good people available right now. So I think there will be some smart t- uh, agencies that pick up some of the the talented folk from teams um, and effectively uh, pitch some of the some of their work back to the team. So I think there's going to be a shift over the next 12 to 18 months in that space. Mm. 
Now, keeping COVID in mind, even though it is pretty short-lived or should be short-lived rather, at least that's what we hope, yep. um, it has brought in a lot of changes on the digital and social front. Now, what trends do you see for the future emerging out of, out of the pandemic and into the future? Um, I think it'll still be um, changes. And I don't think, I think COVID just accelerated it. Um, I think it'll still be continuing changes to media uh, contracts um, and and what they entail. So whether it's TV, you know, those traditional contracts trying to scoop and bring more of those digital assets back to them, um, I think that might happen. Or the other way is that sports will carve up their their, their assets and and assign them appropriately. So we might see a TV station get the TV contract. And a social media company, you know, buy the vertical video rights, and and they're the only vertical video app that can show vertical video highlights. Right. Um, and then they might say, oh, also we're going to have documentary rights. They're they're their own rights. Uh, we might see highlights as a um, as a right segment, right? So you, you might have to pay to have certain highlights um, and those kind of things. So. I think that's potentially where. So I think it'll still be here's the big amount of money, but it's just been divvied up between more more people because there's more players in the space. Um, so I think there's going to be more in that space, and I think the documentary space is going to continue to to heat to heat up. Very interesting. Yeah. Lastly, what's next for you and Sports Geek, and if there's any piece of advice or any message you'd like to leave for the listeners. Yes. Um, so what's next? Uh, so my goal hasn't changed. I've stated in 2018 and then COVID came along and gave it a little bit of a bump. Uh, my goal is for digital to be the number one driver of revenue for sports by 2030. Um, so I thought we we're on track and I think, I think COVID gave it a nice bump because now there's more digital activations and more revenue coming through digital. So I think that's the main one because I think the more the digital can prove there's money coming in, whether it's from sponsorship and activations, ticketing and membership, the, the easier it is for a CEO to say, we need more people in our digital team. Um, and so that's been my goal to keep growing that part of the industry. Uh, the other part um, is effectively my side project, which is my uh, esports team. Uh, so Gravitas is my uh, League of Legends team. Um, I'm hoping to uh, uh, grow, them, grow them as a team and as a brand that gets some uh, global recognition and hopefully gets some success on the world stage. So they're like my own little um, uh, sports Petri dish where I get to test all the things that I've been telling clients for 12 years. So hopefully um, yeah, Gravitas is uh, onwards and upwards and and helps sort of uh, the same sort of growth that we've had in the sports space in the esports and gaming space. So they're the, they're the I guess the two things that I'm uh, looking to work on in the in the near future. Wow, wonderful! Thank you for sharing that with us, and uh, thank you for sharing your amazing insights and being so thoughtful and succinct with everything. Appreciate it. It was great having you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and share for the best tips and trends in the world of sports business wherever you listen to podcasts. Reach out over social media to connect or collaborate. Links will be in the bio. See you next time.